Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. to follow. If we are truly his and he's the head, we've got to follow him into a life of full submission. Will we do it perfect like Jesus? No. No. But we are going to be completely submitted. Jesus went first and his harvest will follow. That's crazy to think that God did all that without knowing how many, how big his harvest would be. How many people would really belong to Christ? He didn't know. That's why it's a faith offering. Let's keep reading here. We're going to jump back in at 23. It says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward... At his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father. When he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that the one that he who puts everything under him is the exception. So do you guys understand that? That gets a little wordy there is that God gave Jesus all the authority. And so Jesus has all the authority, but that doesn't necessarily apply to God. You guys get you guys kind of get what he's saying there. That's a little wordy and that may be a little confusing. But it says in 28, and when everything is subject to Christ, then the son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him. That gets messy. So that this is this is the important part. So that God may be all in all. And so that that so that God may that that's another thing. Okay, it's time to zoom in. What's going on here? And this is something that I I had to like wrestle with and dig in. I mean, I don't know about y'all. You hear the word, like you hear that phrase to become all in all. Does like, do you, does anyone really have a clear, like I can grasp that. Like I've got a firm understanding of what that means and how that applies to me. I don't know. I had to wrestle with that mess. I like, I needed, I needed some help. But what does it mean? What does like what does God really want? Because obviously he wants something. He sent his son as the first fruit. He's expecting a harvest. But what does he really want? What does it mean that he wants to be the all in all? Other versions say everything in everyone. 
everything in everyone. That's deep. My first thoughts, I went to some like, you hear like, like the Rasta guys and they're like, talk about the all in all and we're all God and we're all, you know, and like that's like where in like reggae songs for some reason, that's like where my head went first. But as I did some reading, as I, you know, <laughs> you know, listen to some teachers on this, there's a place that we need to go. And that's to the very beginning of the Bible. If you'd open with me to Genesis 1. Remember, we're, we're trying to, some of us are ignorant about who God is. We've got to keep that fresh in our minds. Some of us are ignorant. We think we know, but we don't know. And we're learning things about his character right now. He was, he was willing to offer his son. We're, we're learning he's expecting a harvest. We're learning he wants to be all in all. Let's see what he was like here. First page of the Bible. If you'd read with me, I'm again in the Holman Christian. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains a seed. This food will be for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. All in all, everything and everyone, from the very beginning, he created me and you in his image. He took, like, he, he said, I'm good. I want you to be good. You and me, there's a bond there. There's something there. I was trying to, like, wrap my head around, around this and what, like, God might be feeling. And this may be a feminine portrayal of this, but God is, women were made in God's image, you know. The best, the best picture I could, I could picture is, is, is Sarah holding Rory, my, my daughter, holding Rory, 
after carrying her in her belly for nine months and after a day of labor. And that moment when, when everyone's left the room, oh, it makes me sad just thinking about it. It makes me happy. That moment where everything's still, everything's quiet, and the creator is there with the created in perfect union. And I can picture my wife holding my daughter like that. And I can picture God on the seventh day sitting back and resting and saying, this is good. This is sweet. This is our God. Our God loves us so much. He loves this earth so much. Think about the detail and the, like just the small things that he paid attention to to make this world so amazing. We have people up here who are getting doctorates on how amazing this stinking world is and trying to understand it. God loves us dearly. And when, when he says he wants to return to the all in all, I believe, don't you think that's what he wants? Turn with me to Revelations 21. Whew. This is good news. Twenty one, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed. God wants to return to a place where he is all in all. He wants to go to a place that's like before the separation that sin brought. Did you notice how in the description in Genesis, he goes on and on about the food? He's like, look at all this stuff I've given you. Like the, those things that we worry about, that emptiness, he's saying there will be no emptiness. You will always be full. Those things that you are afraid of not having, they will always be provided. That was the original intention. 
that God would be all in all with his creation. And in the end, after we have all submitted, we'll go back to a place and a time where all is provided for. And there is no more longing. It will just be full. It will just be fulfillment. Like, can we even wrap our heads around what that would feel like to not long for anything? He says that, that grief and crying and pain, those things come from a longing, you know, for suffering to end. A longing and crying and just to be provided for. You, like I've, those things, we, we see those wrapped around the struggle of life. And he's saying, you know what? God sent Jesus to this earth so that we might get to get back to this place. And that's the good news, y'all. This is like, if this is like you're inside, like your soul doesn't smile or want that, like this is what is special about Christianity. Like this is, this is the hope that there will be a time where I don't have to struggle anymore. That we can go in, in, in a new earth and, and just be with God. And, and obviously they're saying that there will be work to be done. There will be things to do. But we will be full. God's going to erase the eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The last enemy for Jesus to conquer is death. We will be in a place where death is no longer king. It's no longer the end point. Jesus went first. Will you follow? God is already everything and everyone. But will I allow him to be everything in me? Are you willing for this hope to relinquish your control? To take your crown and set it in front of him and say, your way's better. When you think about what we have to hope for in this life, what are we really giving up? What is the real sacrifice? Let's keep going here. 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? And so, okay, we got to stop here and think about this for a second. What in the world is going on here? Keith talked uh, last week. There were, there were some false teachers. There were teachings that were pulling 
Christians away, and specifically here, there was just a group of like people that weren't even Christians that had a practice like that. They were right outside of Corinth, and apparently it was an appealing practice, and so he had to acknowledge that those are there, and we need to like I, I believe that this, like him saying this right here, is why he talks so much about what I've proclaimed, what I've taught you right here at the beginning of 15. That's really all you need to know about that. But it says, why are we in danger every hour? I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. If I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? Now, what in the world did he do in Ephesus? Did you guys just hear he fought wild animals in Ephesus? Has anyone ever read that before? That junk is crazy, y'all. Like, I had to stop. Like, I told Keith a month ago. I was reading through this. I was like, did you really give me the scripture where I get to talk about Paul fighting wild animals and that's what I get to preach on that's awesome I love that but what's going on here what like this like there's actually a lot of like discussion on what he's talking about here but there's a cut it's narrowed down to a couple things that they think really is going on what he's talking about so some people think that he was put in the arena and had to fight wild animals in the arena like he was being persecuted. They put him in the arena, and he, like, with wild beasts, Daniel in the lion's den style stuff, you know? And some people think that that's what it was. Other people think that he's, those wild beasts were actually just men who were persecuting him, men who were, were coming and battling against what he was teaching about. And then finally, others believe that it was actually some brothers and sisters who were put in the arena, and he was going to their defense. He didn't actually, he wasn't actually like in there, but he was like, he was going for it to, to help them out. But what's the point really being made? What, why did he say that? Oh, and I, I wanted to read this too. I just... This is another little bit. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, you know, just a couple pages over, this right here, he's, he's referring to this. He says, for we, didn't, for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So that section is actually referring to this bit about the wild beast. Neat little thing there. But what's the point he's, he's really saying here? If we are going to do the right thing with worldly hope, what's the point? If we're going to go and we're going to confront these beasts in our life, if we're going to like go in there and stand up for our brothers and sisters, and we're going to stand up for God, 
for only a worldly hope? What is the, what's the point? He goes on to say, then let's just eat and drink. Bring a six-pack because tomorrow we're going to die. Like, this is all we got to look forward to. Why are we doing this? He goes on to say, though, come to your senses. Stop sinning and know your God. Paul has spent this whole stinking letter talking about things that these men and women needed to work on. Things in their character, things in the church family, stuff that needed to change. And I believe he's saying, guys, if you're going to wrestle these beasts, if you're going to go for it and do what I told you to do, you can't do it in a worldly hope, believing that there is no resurrection, that this is the end. Because what is the point? Why even try? Because in the end, we, we're just going to die. We've got to have the expectation that we wrestle our own personal beasts with the hope that we will be transformed in this life and the life to come. Just, I want us to take a second here. I just, I want you to imagine what would happen. What would happen if you made the choice to confront that beast in your life? If you decide to put your foot in the ground and like face it off and say, you're not going anywhere and grapple with that thing in your life. Today, you do what I say. And you fight that beast until it's dead. You say, you know what? I'm willing to step into the arena with Goliath. Today, I will carry more weight than I carried yesterday. How would your life change? the world would begin to change around you. Over time, you might get strong enough and tough enough that when you see your brother who is faltering, you can say, let me help you carry some. I've been training. I can take some of your weight. And that little bit might be enough for that person to stand up and continue their fight. And they regain their footing. And it's not just you, it's us fighting. In this world that we live in, it's just a little less dark. And the light just grows a little bit more. God is glorified in our struggle to become like him. It's scary when we talk about wrestling the things in our life. And I think immediately I, I, I say wrestling these beasts and we're like, go to this place where, okay, Ben's talking about sin now. And so 
don't lie and don't cheat and be pure and all this stuff. But I want us to think deeper than that. What is your beast? God says we have to come to our senses. We have to be in a right mind because sometimes we don't even know what's really going on inside. We don't even really know what those things are until we start looking for it. Till we say, okay, I'm ready to fight a little. I'm ready to grapple with this thing. We've got to know who God is. And we have to know ourself. James 4. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. I, I think this, this scripture right here holds a lot more weight than what we give it. What's your beast? What's that thing? If you don't know, decide to fight and it'll, it'll appear. You say, I want to I start changing things, and you start praying, God, show me those areas in my life that I need to grow. Boy, those things will come up. You better be ready. And I, like, I, I hear some chuckling. This right here? You might get hurt. If you step into the arena, you might die. He says we face death every day. Are you willing to face death every day? For that relationship with God, that hope, you're not going to face every day for a worldly hope. But for that hope of being with God and that fullness, we might. Have you ever fought a wild animal? In reality, has anyone in here ever grappled with a beast? The closest thing I can think of is in high school. I was at a friend's house. I was at a friend's house. They had a chow, and that thing never left the garage, and it was super protective, and it was a, it was a big dog. And that thing... If I just went in the room, it was just off the chain wild. And we, they were like, hey, Ben, go hop in the car. We'll be right behind you. I go out there, and that dog bit me. All right? And that's the closest thing I can remember, and I was terrified. I was terrified. That thing was going nuts, and it was literally the door I had to get in. It was the back door of the car. The dog's here, and I had to open the door and get in. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay. The dog's there going nuts. I have to get in the car. Am I going to be, am I going to wuss out here? Or am I going to just kind of like, okay, it's just a dog getting the car. And I got close to that thing. And I still have a scar on my hand from where it bit me. It's crazy. It was scary. But we got to understand this won't be easy. But this is really, I, I believe, the life that we want. There's a reason why we teach our children to be courageous. Because we know it's right. We know in our deep self that we want to be courageous. That we want to be able to, to be proven worthy by carrying the weight. 
when the adversary comes standing tall and saying, I won't waver. We've got to be courageous. And we've got to be in a place where we don't fear death because we've already died. When we got baptized, we put me, you, us to death. We took the first step into the grave like Jesus did. And we said, in this life, I will follow and I will put God first. And I will submit to him and I will die. I'll go up on the cross. And what that does for us, and that allows us to go into these battles in our life with a confidence that just like Jesus was risen from the dead, I will come out victorious. What's that beast for you? Will you fight it? And it may take time. Like I say this, and and this isn't like, this isn't a, oh, I'm going to go home and this afternoon before dinner, let's go slay some beasts. You know, it's going to be dead. Put it on the grill and then we'll eat it. You know, that's not like, like really, I want you to think about something coming into your home and you grab it and you say, and you, and you decide to like, you take hold of it and you go and you put it up on the cross and you're holding it there, trying to nail it in, and that thing squirms down. You're like, ah, oh, I didn't get it done. I didn't do it. You shake it off and you say, okay, let's go again. And you grab it. And you, mm, until it's dead. Again and again and again until it's dead. And you've won, and God has been proven faithful. We do that, and, and, and we, like, like, we find God in that struggle. And people see God in us from that struggle. Because it's not us, it's God working through us to battle the evil and the messed up junk that's in this world, and in me, and in you. And the part that we contribute to this world's mess. Guys, I want you to fight. I want you to be courageous. I've been like, I've been wrestling with this the past month. I've been trying to like put this into practice. And this is like, it feels different than when you just say, yeah, I'm not going to look at porn today. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to forgive my neighbor. You know, like, do you guys realize that what you're doing is contributing to the way of the world? And we are, we are working with God to combat that. And it starts in here, and then we get to go and do it with our brothers and sisters and that's why he says bad company corrupts good morals. We've got to be careful with who we let in and who we fight with. We've got to be aware that there are people out there 
who want nothing more than us to just sink back down to where we were. But I'll tell you one thing, when we fight with each other, not like against each other, but when we fight side by side, that's what makes us unified. Like doing that in God's name, you, I, I don't know, has anyone in here ever talked to a soldier, like someone who has been in combat? So many soldiers long to go back to battle because they've never had relationships like that since. They, they want to go back to war, not because they love war, but because the community and the band of brothers that they had built in adversity. And that didn't come from like high-fiving and like going to movies and drinking beer together. That came from doing the no fun stuff together. And they bonded for life. And they remembered the battlegrounds that they had been on. Man, that's what I want. Hopefully that's what you want. But let's fight, to, let's fight side by side with one another. Let's land this plane here. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. I'm going to read from the NIV now. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What's that look like? Talking about wrestling the beast. I hope you didn't think I was talking about being violent. That's obviously not what God was about. But there is a way that God wages war and that we should wage war. And I just like I, I, I want to say before we go deeper into this, when we talk about what our beasts are like. These things are going to come in all different shapes and sizes. And, and I, I was thinking about this week, like that beast for you like, might be the stack of bills that are sitting on your countertop that you haven't opened because you know you don't have enough money in your account to pay them. How are you going to wrestle that beast in faith? Does it mean you leave them on the countertop and not deal with it? Like I... I, like, I want us to really be real about what these beasts are. What are you anxious about? Are we just going to stew in the anxiety? Or are we going to go to war with the things we're anxious about? Like, that's, like, that's the reality of what I'm talking about. Like, I've got to discipline my children, and they're off the chain. How in the world am I going to wrestle that beast in faith? And my kids can be little beasts, all right? Trust that. Oh, they're sweet. They're sweet. 
But I, I, I just wanted to clarify this, that, that this is like, a, like we actually need to stew on what, what this is. We've got to be sober and know what God's ex- expectations are and who we really are on the inside. We've got to like, mm, we've got to know that if we're really going to do this. But who in the Bible can we look to? that faced beasts and that that wrestled with this life and doing it faithfully. And I just, I've got two people. First and foremost, Jesus. When he was confronted with temptation, he battled with the word of God. He wrestled in his word and he knew it in a way when those things came up. He's like, here's the truth and here's not the truth. Those are some weapons. We see him in the garden being asked to, to go and, and actually put up or shut up on being the first fruits. Are you, am I really going to do it? Am I really going to step up to the plate and be that guy? And Jesus had doubts. If there's any other way, please take this cup. But your will be done. There's power in prayer. And there's times when we need to wrestle in faith and and we just don't give prayer. I don't give prayer what it deserves. We have a direct connection with God. We need to be wrestling. That is a battleground that we do not tap into enough. I don't tap into enough. We need to follow the other guy, if you want somebody who is not our Lord and Savior to look to, I thought about Daniel. And if you've never read through Daniel, please do it. But this was a man who was known for prayer. He determined he would not defile himself. And despite persecution... Guys were like, hey, you can't pray to any other God. What did he do? He got up the next day. He went to war. I'm going to pray just like I normally do because this is true and this isn't true. And he wrestled in faith and he was actually put in the lion's den. And God took care of him. On top of that, man, he had so many blessings. He talks about the understanding and all the stuff that was given to him because of his faithfulness. Daniel is a great person to example to follow. So right now, we're going to take communion. What have you learned about God? Some of us in here are ignorant about God. And I say that to your shame. It's not to belittle you, but I say it to your shame because you don't really understand how good God is. What have you learned about God this morning? Do you know him a little bit better? We read, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule, all authority, and power. For he must reign until he puts 
all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Jesus is going to abolish the rule of the world. These, that emptiness and that fear of death that we all fear, Jesus has got that taken care of. And he's proven it when he came back from the dead. He proved it already. It's now, but not yet. It's happening in this moment, but there's something to look forward to. That return of being God. He died so we could win. So we must die so others can win. Jesus went first. Will you follow? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.